In Southeast Agnet's Ag and Review for the week ending January the 15th, well, the U.S. International Trade Commission held a hearing this past week concerning the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement's likely impact on the U.S. economy and specific industry sectors. Now, various folks took part in this hearing, including some from the beef, dairy, and poultry sectors. One bit of information given during the testimonies was how tariff rates for the U.S. would come down. Now, an example of that came from the beef industry, whose U.S. exports in 2014 into Japan took place at a 38.5% tariff. But once TPP is implemented, that rate will phase down to only 9% over 15 years, with a significant cut the first year. And U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack says that is just one of the many reasons why TPP is good for American agriculture. It's an opportunity to showcase the fact that we're going to see uh, along the entire uh, agreement 18,000 tariff lines or taxes against American products are going to be reduced, and certainly there are a number of those in the ag sector where we're going to see better opportunities for poultry, better opportunities for dairy, better opportunities for corn and soybeans, for wheat, for fruits and vegetables across the board, beef, uh, pork, virtually every agricultural product is going to benefit from this, including citrus. So it's an opportunity, I think, for us to showcase uh, American agriculture, get a more level playing field in a place in the globe where we're going to see expanding economies, expanding middle-class consumers, and it's plays to the strengths of American agriculture. Well, cotton prices are nowhere near where many would like to see them. So what will that mean for 2016 for U.S. cotton producers? Gary Crawford has the story. When it comes to cotton... There is a lot of cotton in the world right now. Cotton demand is down. Prices down as well, but nonetheless, Agriculture Department Chief Economist Rob Johansson says he expects this spring to see... About 9.5 million acres being planted. That's uh, up by about a million acres. Even though many cotton growers have been seeing very low prices and saying... Producers are facing negative cash flows. So why boost acreage? Johansson says cotton may still cost out better than, say, soybeans. And this past year, only a third of cotton producers had signed up for the stacked income protection program stacks. But Johansson says... I would expect enrollment to go up in 2016 as producers become more familiar with the program. However, U.S. cotton will be up against several barriers in the export market, the strong dollar making the U.S. product more expensive for foreign buyers, plus China's holding huge stocks of cotton, 60 million bales. Those stocks are hanging over the market and keeping prices depressed. Because no one knows what China intends to do with that cotton or when. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Washington. Tyron Spearman had this week's peanut price update. The national posted price on peanuts stayed the same this week. USDA quoted it at $424.51 per ton. The average price received this past week was about $352 per ton on the weekly prices. On the contract prices so far this year, offering $375 per ton in some buying points in some locations. Shell market price holding at $44 to $0.45. That is uh, mediums at 44, jumbos at 45. Last year on this date, mediums were 53 and jumbos 55, showing the increase in peanuts coming in. USDA's estimate this week showed a total of peanuts of 3,106,000 tons. However, the Federal State Inspection Service has only checked 2,953,000 tons. So a lot of peanuts may be sitting under sheds or still yet to be counted for this coming year. George Levin, a peanut broker, told the Farm Bureau General meeting recently that corn and cotton continues to be at a disappointed price, and it is likely that growers will plant nearly as many peanuts next year as they did in 2015. But Levin warned, you've got to do what makes the most sense for your operation and what makes the most sense for your banker. 
But for God's sakes, he said, don't plant peanuts without knowing where they're going to be stored. I'm Dyron Spearman for Southeast AgNet. And with this week's Georgia Girl Moment, here's Julie McPeak. For this week's Georgia Girl Moment, we have Ken Corbett of Ken Corbett Farms, a vegetable and agritourism venture in Lake Park, Georgia, who says the Georgia Grown Program has proven to be a great asset to their family-run business. We put the Georgia Grown brand on every bit of the packaging that we do. Georgia Grown is much more recognized than our little individual farm. Commissioner Black has done a great job in promoting the Georgia Grown name and promoting the quality of Georgia Grown products. Corbett believes that the future of their farm and the Georgia Grown program is a bright one. I see the Georgia Grown label continuing to grow and our farm being able to continue to grow just based on being able to tell people about our quality, getting the word out about what we do and how we do it. And then us on the farm side being able to back that up. For more information, visit KenCorbettFarms.com. For Georgia Grown, I'm Julie McPeak. Kathy Isom tells us about the nation's farm credit system, which was created 100 years ago. The centennial celebration for the nation's farm credit system. The nation's farm credit system was created 100 years ago. In 1916, Woodrow Wilson signed the act that established the farm credit system. And it was really to provide consistent access to credit for farmers and ranchers and rural communities. And we still have the very same mission today that we had then, which is supporting rural communities and agriculture. Megan Fairchild Anderson works with Agribank, one of the many lending institutions connected to the farm credit system. And she says in the century since the Federal Farm Loan Act was signed into law, subsequent laws and advancements, along with its cooperative model, have strengthened the farm credit system to provide service to its many customers. In turn, this has funded and supported many businesses and infrastructure projects in rural America. Everything from telecommunications to real estate loans for farmers. It's the entire piece that supports the rural communities of America. I'm Kathy Isom, Southeast Agnet. And to wrap up this week's podcast, Everett Griner talks about how the number of producers renting farmland is increasing. Now, in today's world of agriculture, owning land is important, but it's not absolutely necessary. Agricultural producers paid rent on over 350 million acres of land last year. Rent. More farmland is changing hands today than a decade ago. A good hunk of it goes to developers every year. But most of it is being passed along to younger family members. As much as half of the land that was willed to other family members will not be farmed by someone other than the owner. Still, when a piece of land goes on the market, it's generally the close neighbor who's most anxious to bid. So it's natural that populations in non-urban counties are declining. But rent or buy, agriculture keeps growing. And that is likely to change. And that's AgriView for today. Every grinder, Southeast Agnet. Those stories and more can be found on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast Agnet.